traditional routes of, you know, fitness um, are really kind of boring. And this has been going on for a long time now, and especially with uh, sensors being embedded in everything, we, we really will be tracked in some way, shape or form now. Uh, little little bumps in particulate matter, for example, can cause uh, significant uh, changes in, in various different parameters that factor into your risk for cardiovascular disease, for example. Among people who walk 5,000 or more steps per day, they have a dramatically re reduced risk of you know uh, adverse coronary events compared to those who walk less than 5,000 steps per day. Uh, that's a great thing because that puts more control and power into the hands of the individual. Ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, keep it right here, listening to the OPP. And of course, go to naturalstacks.com. Brian Muncy is probably the smartest guy I know. Trust me, Muncy is the nutrition guy. Ryan Muncy's out there trying to make the world better for all of us. The Optimal Performance Podcast is bold, edgy, creative, entertaining, and epic. Ryan Muncy is my go-to guy. Ryan Muncy is he's the first guy I call. He's making people's lives better. Ryan Muncy's an innovator. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Optimal Performance Podcast. Today, we are going to be talking with Dr. Joe Morgan. Dr. Joe and his partners are a group of three doctors who have founded this company called Wellevate. They are a very forward-thinking group, and they've got a really fascinating and innovative way of looking at health, fitness tracking, and they are creating a virtual reality platform that we as consumers or end users can use to improve our health through increased activity and uh, an alternative route for exercise and uh, workouts. So uh, a little bit of a backstory, Dr. Joe reached out to me a few months ago. We've had quite a few conversations over that time. I actually went down to their headquarters outside of Boone, North Carolina, uh, was able to beta test their virtual reality platform. And uh, that trip was the first time I've ever worn or experienced virtual reality and was totally blown away um, by the technology uh, as a whole, but also what Wellevate has been able to create um, if you've never worn virtual reality goggles or, or seen it, it is an incredibly immersive experience. You really lose track of the fact that you are in whatever room that you are in and you totally kind of lose track of the fact that you are exercising. You, know, you take them off and then you realize, hey, I'm breathing hard, I'm sweating. And, and that really was, um, you know, a workout. Um, so really fascinating stuff. And, and like I said, this when I had that experience, I had the same light bulb moment for potential applications that Joe has had and that we will talk about on this show. I really see the, the target market for this technology as the type of person who maybe doesn't enjoy working out as much as others. Um, the, the people who would gravitate towards something like an insanity or a P90X, the at home workout type of person, um, or the person who, uh, simply just doesn't enjoy working out, but wants to do it for the health benefits. Um, you know, so Wellevate has some really cool things going on. We're going to talk a lot about how, uh, fitness trackers work, what we should look for, how we can use this new virtual reality platform as a way to improve health, increase activity, uh, very forward thinking stuff from these guys at Wellevate. So without further ado, here's Joe, here's Wellevate. Enjoy it guys. This week, our guest is Dr. Joe Morgan. Joe, thanks for hanging out with us today. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. Looking forward to this. So Quickly, your Twitter bio, uh, doctor, specifically an anesthesiologist, uh, brilliant, and creating mixed reality health and wellness platforms. Anything you want to add to that, Joe? Oh, I think that's a, that's a nice, concise summary. All I right. like that. All right. Uh, so let's talk... Wellevate. Uh, this is this is your passion. It is a second 
job <laughs> that I guess maybe let's let's rephrase that. It's it's your passion turned second job outside of being an actual doctor. Right. That's true. And, uh, you know, um, some of the criticisms that can come along are, uh, and as you know, just a little bit of background, um, Wellevate's a company that's about a year old now, and uh, we're comprised of physicians and software developers. And the impetus for creating Wellevate was really a lot of frustration that I experienced myself, uh, as well as um, amongst my physician colleagues. And we decided to kind of come together and make a company to try and address some of the issues that we saw and experienced really on a day-to-day basis in, you know, the practical uh, implementation of medicine as it is. And very quickly after we formed, uh, we noticed that, you know, virtual reality and augmented reality uh, are extremely powerful mediums uh, for communicating, but also for finding, finding out things about people, essentially how they behave, how they react to different stimuli, and particularly in case of virtual reality where you have really complete control over the environment from an audiovisual standpoint, um, you're able to tune things and test things in a way that you really can't do otherwise. And so that was really uh, an eye-opener for everyone on our team, and that's what led our company to go into Wellevate or excuse me, to go into virtual reality. So um, that's really the, the sort of genesis of, of Wellevate and why we got into virtual reality. And we've been doing it for about a year now, really under the radar in stealth mode. And, um, you know, this is really kind of the first um, discussion we're having about it in a public forum. Uh, we really did not want to start talking about what we had going until, you know, we were very close to being ready to launch. And so that's why uh, no one has really heard anything. And our website is very, um, let's say, nonspecific. And uh, we've done that on purpose because we want to have something that is really clinically relevant curated by physicians, the content is curated by physicians, and really we have a great team of software developers, and it's really a collaboration between all of us, which I think is somewhat unique in the, in the sort of digital and mobile health space. Um, a lot of times there are companies that have developers that are essentially software people, and they you know, contract out to other physicians as needed, uh, and the result is really you know, a very a software-centric approach uh, that leaves out a lot of healthcare detail and um, really, you know, a lot of uh, relevant aspects in terms of user experience. Oppositely, uh, uh, the the opposite extreme does occur, which is where you have clinicians uh, who are essentially outsourcing to developers. But you know, from my past time in the, in the digital and mobile health space, I really realized that the that there was a great opportunity really for any company that was able to combine and really have a collegial environment, a sort of cooperative environment between the developers and the clinicians, uh, as opposed to one or the other. And um, that's, that's really also reflective in, in uh, our products and, and what we're, what we're going to offer. You mentioned um, the importance of, of some of those healthcare details what metrics or data do you think that you guys will be able to focus on or quantify or track that may be missing from some other uh, modalities? Yeah. So, you know, in, in virtual reality in particular, you're taking um, essentially an experience that you've designed and created and you're then, and usually, frankly, it's done on a two dimensional computer still, because that's still the, uh, the faster way to get work done, uh, despite, you know, many attempts to create sort of productivity environments, uh, in, in VR. Um, and, and the, the sort of rich data set that you can get from virtual reality really stems from that sort of extra dimension of space. And so, uh, for example, if you're tracking somebody's motion, um, you know, you're tracking it, not just in 3D using a 3D accelerometer, but you're using it 
you're tracking motion in 3D using three or four three-dimensional accelerometers. In this case, a couple on a, on a headset, a couple in the handsets. And so <clears throat> you can that combined with the fact that you can design a particular experience in three dimensions means that you can actually expose an individual to certain stimuli or to certain tests or, 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 you know, have them interact. And then you can basically control that. And then you can understand and see how they actually react to that in three dimensions. And so, uh, there's the sort of VR hardware and the motion component, but then there's also additional things that, uh, that are forthcoming that you will see well of eight, uh, uh, really take it to the next level in terms of physiological tracking, in terms of tracking for, um, a healthcare focus or, or a wellness focus in the case of really the, the, the first several products that we're putting out there are all really focused in wellness. Um, and we think it's a nice natural progression, uh, gives us an opportunity to, um, really work towards something that, um, is, you know, sort of slow and steady in how it progresses both in terms of, you know, what we're trying to accomplish for the individual user, but then also in terms of, you know, it's, it's validation and the data behind it. Let's take a step back and, can it fill our listeners in on how you got to this point? Um, you know, if, if people don't know your background, they may be wondering, you know, why VR, why not some of the other, uh, wearable fitness trackers? Yeah. So, um, gosh, it was about 2011, right, right around the time I graduated medical school, um, got into really developing, uh, a, a directory of all of the different wearable devices and gadgets uh, that I that I found. I had a, a keen focus on anesthesiology, really towards the end of medical school forward. And um, most people in that space will tell you that that, that they are usually drawn to that specialty uh, because of an interest in physiology uh, and pharmacology. Well, I have a very strong interest in physiology, and so that led me into really kind of seeing what's out there in terms of, you know, physiological trackers, wearable devices, and what have you, which then evolved into some consulting work. Uh, and, you know, essentially, by the time it was clear to me and my colleagues that we wanted to really make a company and, and, and do something on our own, um, the digital and mobile health space really had already reached this is about a year ago now, um, in our opinion, reached a point of um, consolidation, really, where, where all of these startups that had been popping up really left and right for several years were starting to get gobbled up. And uh, the window for creating a sort of two-dimensional application, uh, either a PC or tablet, really had, you know, those doors were closing. And so... Um, we decided that it would be wise for us to, to sort of look into other avenues. And at the time, I had just purchased for entertainment purposes a virtual reality headset. Um, and it really didn't take me long to figure out its potential. Um, you know, uh, playing a couple of experiences in particular uh, that I was a big fan with early on and still, still like to play when I get a chance. You know, um, one of these games is a shooter game. Uh, it's called Space Pirate Trainer, and it's just a fantastic game uh, that, you know, has a strong workout component to it. You can play it for 10 minutes and be drenched in sweat. And, you know, combining that with a little bit of background medical knowledge, um, you know, the American Heart Association recommends you get 150 minutes per week of moderate to vigorous physical activity. And, you know, someone like myself who was working at a job, had a little one and a half year old at the time, um, you know, doing uh, all sorts of things in the community and then starting a company. Um, and yet I still found time to get my moderate to vigorous physical activity just because I was playing this video game a few times a week. And so, you know, it didn't take me long to have the realization that there's really strong potential here um, because, you know, as, as our society has, has sort of demonstrated it's very easy to eat way more 
then you burn off. And so why is that given all of the knowledge that we have at our fingertips? And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, traditional routes of exercise, uh, traditional routes of, you know, fitness, um, are really kind of boring and this is something that's fun. And so really the, the secret, particularly in terms of physical activity is you're, you're really having somebody participate in activities and carry out behaviors that are extremely healthy and yet they're being entertained and having fun at the same time, which is an extremely powerful notion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. Uh, we'll come back to uh, some of the things that you just mentioned in terms of the possibilities and applications uh, for this uh, platform. Um, but let's keep talking about wearable uh, tracking uh, for a few minutes because I'd be willing to bet 50% or more of our listeners are tracking um, movement or sleep or something, uh, whether it's with, I, w- I would be willing to bet that the two most popular pieces in our listener base is either the Fitbit or the Aura Ring. Um, talk a little bit about environmental tracking and kind of using tracking data for meaningful results. Yeah, so a couple of things there. I think I, th- I think that uh, a prevailing trend is that we will all be tracked in some way, shape, or form uh, more and more passively. Um, so these things right. will be fine. I got to pause you for a minute. So you just said we will be tracked, not we will be tracking. Right. Who, who or what is tracking us in the future? Right. So these things are like fly on the wall technologies, uh, Amazon Alexa. Okay. Um, you know, um, really a lot of, a lot of times, you know, at our work, everyone's tracked, everyone's been tracked since the eighties, you know, I mean, and so the, the paradigm shift in thinking really surrounds, you know, the, the distinction between a video camera and every other sensor. And so this has been going on for a long time now, and especially with, uh, sensors being embedded in everything, um, <clears throat> We, we really will be tracked in some way, shape, or form. Now, whether that data set is really cohesive and whether, you know, uh, an individual will be able to track uh, another individual throughout the course of the day in a really continuous and cohesive manner, uh, that's yet to be seen. I think it's a matter of time. But um, in terms of tracking uh, in general, um, whether it's optional or whether it's, you know, kind of just the consequence of going through our daily lives. Um, the trackers are obviously becoming much smaller, uh, much more passive, uh, don't require you to plug them in. Um, and the data is essentially going to be there. And so with that in mind, um, I think that, you know, that 50% figure, which is actually surprising in and of itself. I mean, I think that that's quite high. Um, and, and it's true. Um, I think that that number is only going to increase. Uh, you have to remember we, we are the, the listener base for the OPP is, you know, people who are very proactive about their health and, and, you know, very interested in this data. So yeah, probably not, uh, and across the board, uh, it's, it's not a good sampling of, you know, uh, society as a whole. Yeah. And that's even, that's a great thing because, you know, your listening audience is, is kind of on top of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, really to, to sort of go right into environmental tracking, um, you know, I think that the, the sort of foreground I just painted in terms of the ubiquitous nature of things really um, is a perfect segue into that because, um, the food bot, as you know, I've told you uh, at, at my house, that's my favorite track. It doesn't require me to plug it in. It doesn't require me to do anything. And yet I have months and months of data on really, um, particulate matter, CO2 levels, carbon monoxide levels in my house. Um, and, and you could actually appreciate, appreciate the fluctuations when I'm cooking something. Um, last, last year there was some there was a little forest fire outside, and we had some windows up and you can see, and it just, you know, you can actually look at it, it just has lights if you want to, you know, see what's going on right now. But then also, you know, it's, it's passively storing all of that information in a nice historical record. Um, and, and so why is that relevant? 
it's very relevant because uh, little little bumps in particulate matter, for example, can cause uh, significant uh, changes in, in various different parameters that factor into your risk for cardiovascular disease, for example, um, and 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 all sorts of other um, common ailments um, can be affected adversely by particulate matter um, and by uh, really airborne pollutants, um, really metabolic things such as risk for diabetes is another example, um, and and these are the sorts of things that are really concerning because they're. Uh, they're these sort of constant low-level threats uh, that actually do have a modest but significant uh, effect on, you know, various different risks for the diseases I've just mentioned. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we don't feel it, so we don't it's, – it's one of these things that, you know, it doesn't trigger us to do anything about it because, you know, it's not causing pain uh, and it's kind of, you know, the atmosphere and it's always around us. But yet there are things you can do about it, but the first step to it is – is detecting it. So that that last statement you just made, do you think that is why environmental trackers seem to be so unheard of in comparison to fitness trackers? Gosh, I think I think that's a that's a great point. Um, I, I think it's it's a possibility. I think certainly um, it, it requires um, really nothing in terms of effort. Uh, because a lot of the environmental trackers are among the more passive trackers out there with, you know, certain under mattress sleeping sensors being uh, an exception to that. However, those, of course, no one wants a bump in their mattress. So, you know, that kind of is, is a reason why they don't last so long. But um, I, I, I don't know is a, is a good point. I think part of it probably is the uh, the, the fact that these trackers really are not something that are profitable per se. Um, and again, it's one of these sort of low constant, but, you know, modest and significant risks that, you know, it's, it's really just tough to, to build a, a financial model around that. I mean, you know, no one's going to build a drug to decrease your particulate matter, you know, and then, and so then if it's outside of that sort of silo of uh, FDA approved and, you know, ridiculous markup for a prescription pharmaceutical, uh, then, you know, where is the, where is the money going to come from for something like that? And, and if you really think about it, uh, the money would come from, you know, enthusiasts, people like me that are interested in tracking um, and, and, and what would the, what would the solution be? Well, it'd probably be some sort of filtration device, you know? And so then you're outside of that traditional medical silo where, you know, the profit margins are much lower and, uh, the, uh, really the, the sort of, uh, carrot, uh, hanging in front of, you know, potential startups really isn't there. So I think that there's an economic component, but then, yeah, I think there's also a, um, uh, a, a size of effect component in terms of its impact on, on individuals health. Well, I'm going to go ahead and plug one of our past episodes. If you guys are at all interested in air quality and, uh, personal filtration, uh, personal air quality purifiers that don't look like those 3M dust masks, check out the episode with Rasprana and Sophie Frank. They're doing some really cool things. Uh, I do not remember what number that is off the top of my head, but it's about a month ago, if you, or maybe two months ago, if you guys want to scroll back through the iTunes directory or Stitcher and find that. Um, Joe, let's, let's keep talking about tracking. And I guess it, what I want to know is if, if you, there's so many different routes people can go with this. If you could only track one piece of data, what would you track and why? Yeah. So you and I have had this conversation several times and I think probably my answer changes every time, but, uh, that's probably because it's tough to pin one down on me, but I'll, I'll pick one just for the sake of, of good conversation. I think, um, I think activity would probably, uh, be the one, uh, metric I would want to get. And, uh, I, you know, in terms of activity, I, that could be sliced up in a number of different ways. It could be, you know, steps per hour. It could be steps per day. It could be, you know, some sort of higher, uh, higher derived metric that, you know, I don't know what's going on in the background in terms of a black box. And then they say your activity level is X. Not a fan of those because they're tough to compare apples to apples on. 
Um, but nonetheless, steps in and of itself is, you know, something that's very uh, strongly supported um, in terms of, you know, if pe- among people who walk 5,000 or more steps per day, they have a dramatically redu- reduced risk of, you know, uh, adverse coronary events compared to those who walk less than 5,000 steps per day. Um, and, and of course, the, the risk goes down really um, commensurate with the increase in, in steps that an individual has over the course of a day. So it's, it's very meaningful in that sense, and it's actionable. Um, the other thing that you can do with uh, an activity metric, particularly if you have it per unit of time, is you can use, uh, basically apply some simple math and you know, get the inverse of that. And, and essentially determine your inactivity per hour, which, you know, as you and I have discussed in the past is just as important as your activity level. So you could be, you know, captain fitness and be able to run a marathon. And if you crank out that marathon in I don't know, four hours or something, uh, and then, you know, the rest of the week, you don't do anything. You're kind of a slug on the couch. That's not good for you. Um, you know, you're, you may not be as well off as you think. And so, you know, it's, it's a balance. And uh, my approach has always been, particularly over the past uh, six to eight years, really having no free time uh, has been to really get the, the, the biggest bang for the buck in terms of my time investment and in terms of the clinical yield. Um, and, and really that, that, again, highlights why I find virtual reality so attractive is because I'm engaged, I'm having fun. I'm killing two birds with one stone. I'm being entertained and I'm playing a game, but then I'm also uh, carrying out some really healthy behaviors that are, you know, um, it doesn't feel like work to me. And so um, that is, uh, it's just such a powerful thing to be able to do that. that. That's a hugely important thing for people to pay attention to is not just how active are you or, or what, how can you, I think when we see these fitness trackers, we try to pad our stats. You know, it's like right. if I, if I have to walk to my mailbox you know, I'm going to put my phone in my pocket so it counts those steps um, or, or something like that. But it's also looking at, at the gaps, like you said, the inverse, the times that, you know, if you see the spikes in the bar graph that show steps, look at the, all the times where there's negative space or, or white space. And, right. you know, we want, uh, you know, I think you and I, when we had this conversation previously, it was, you know, if, if you are sedentary for 23 hours of the day and you do you know, the most ridiculously perfect workout for one hour, whatever it might be. That's great. It's better than nothing. But let's look at those other 23 hours where you're sitting in compromised positions or, uh, you're, you know, you're hunched over, you're not moving. Um, you know, so that was one of the things I loved about wearing the Fitbit when I had it was that it tried to get you to take 250 steps every hour and it would buzz you 10 minutes before the end of the hour and say, Hey, you have this many steps remaining to get to 250. Um, you know, I'm no longer wearing the Fitbit that's for EMF and Wi-Fi reasons. Um, go back and listen to that podcast with Katie Singer. Uh, if you guys want to hear more on that one, but that's a whole other topic. Uh, we'll stay on, on point here. I mean, just as an example for you guys, you know, as, as we're recording this show, instead of sitting down at a desk, you know, I have a stand-up desk. So A, I'm standing up, but I'm also on a fluid stance. So if you guys can see the video right now, you can kind of see I'm, I'm intentionally rocking back and forth. So all these little things that we can build into our day and our life to move often and frequently and throughout the day and crucially in various uh, patterns so that you don't just become fixed. And one day you turn 50, 60, 70, and you realize, Hey, I can't move. Uh, I think a lot of people listening to this show really respect and look up to somebody like a Mark Sisson, you know, Mark's 64, 65. I'm sorry, Mark, if that's older than you actually are. Um, but the dude's jacked, he's got a body and, and a health and a lifestyle that, you know, everyone, regardless of age, um, would aspire to. And a lot of that is because, you know, he, he moves well and is intentional about, you know, how he got from where he was to where he is now. So, so that doesn't happen by accident. I guess that's, that's the point that I'm trying to make for folks, um, you know, start paying attention to it now, envision how you want to be later in life and kind of reverse engineer that, you know, if you can't jump at 35, what do you think your knees and hips are capable of at 55 or 65? 
Right. Right. And I think that's a, that's a great point, Ryan is, is I, I think what you're saying there to me brings up the point of personalization and the need to do that for yourself beyond what, you know, whatever gadget or software is providing you um, to really sort of take the extra five minutes, a one-time investment and, and, and think about, you know, if I have a tracker in front of me and there's a, there's a leaderboard system, for example, Mm -hmm. well, maybe I don't care about, you know, some sort of pissing contest about steps, you know, maybe that's not important to me. Maybe that bothers me if I'm at the bottom of the pack. Okay. Or maybe it's something that's like, you know, I'm super competitive and I want to, I want to get to the top of that. Um, and just think about how you want to approach your interaction with that particular technology, um, as an individual. And, and that can sort of shape that your own sort of customized regimen that you develop, uh, for using that particular technology or technologies. And, and again, it's all about taking the standpoint of, I want to get the highest possible yield out of this tool. And so if you, if you take that five minute investment upfront and say, these are the things that I care about doing with this technology. And then, you know, beyond that, when you're getting things set up and, and, and moving forward, you're able to, keep focus on whatever those objectives are, because just like everything else, um, a lot of these gadgets, unfortunately, uh, you know, cause their end users to get lost in a sort of black hole of, you know, somewhat relevant information. And so, you know, all this time that people are messing around with their Fitbit, let's just say, uh, poor Fitbit. I mean, they're actually probably one of the best companies out there, frankly, but, um, let's just say your wearable device. Um, you know, if you're spending time messing around with your wearable device itself or some sort of portal, uh, tied to that wearable device, let's say you spend five minutes a day doing that. I mean, doesn't seem like much, but that's also five minutes of day per day that you could have gotten of moderate to vigorous physical activity. Right. And so, uh, and, and a lot of these issues will slowly, I think, fade away. Um, you know, because, trackers are going to be more passive and, and those individuals like your audience in particular, I think will be able to sort of assemble their own uh, daily monitoring using a lot of these um, ubiquitous sensors going forward. Um, there might be a little sweat and elbow grease put into it initially, but um, you know, that's where everything's headed. And so that's a great thing because that puts more control and power into the hands of the individual. So Joe, something you said in that last statement uh, reminds me of, of a conversation that, that we've had before. And I, I'd love to get your take on it here on the show. Uh, you, you mentioned highest yield and you know, you and I have, have talked about, you know, the different approaches that we bring to uh, our habits. And, and I think that's, that's the big thing is, is, you know, your intention with your habits and sort of defining what it's going to do for you. But, you know, for me, it's about optimization because I have the luxury of being able to put a lot of time into certain things. You, on the other hand, uh, are an anesthesiologist where you may be working. Uh, the last time I visited you, you would just come off of what, 36 or 48 hour uh, shift with like four hours of sleep combined in two days. So, so for you, it's how do you get the highest yield out of your inputs? And I think a lot of our listeners are somewhere on that spectrum. So give us some of your thoughts on, you know, how we maximize output from whatever input we can invest in terms of resources. Yeah. So that's, that's a great, a great topic. I, I think for me really operationally, if I'm, if I'm giving someone else advice, there's really a fork in the road in terms of, you know, uh, do you have significant circadian disruption? Um, and if the answer is yes, then it's, it's sort of one path. If, if the answer is no, then it's a different path. And the reason for that is because, you know, uh, circadian, uh, cycles are really what control, uh, you know, a lot of our neuroendocrine, uh, and hormonal release and, and, and sort of our, you know, are really day-to-day rhythm, quite literally. And so um, if, if that's significantly disrupted, like it is in me many times, um, then, you know, there's, there's a different set of tricks. And, and so amongst people like myself, you know, the tricks are, you know, when to take a power nap, 
the tricks are, um, how can I quickly get back into a circadian, a normal circadian cycle as soon as possible after a period of disruption? So a lot of that has to do with scheduling. Um, and, and scheduling is something that it's a very powerful thing if you can do it. And it's very uh, low time investment for both the, the circadian disruption camp as well as the normal camp. Um, and that's because you can, you can schedule little spurts of activity throughout your day. Um, and then really building habitual, uh, habits throughout your day that are, that are extremely healthy, like walking up the stairs at work, running up the stairs at work, running from your car, uh, into the front door at work, just making little games, right? You have a friend at work, you want to race every day back to your cars. I mean, there's little things like that, that you can cram in. Um, you know, in residency, we used to, we used to race through the parking lot at the end of the day, you know, um, and just little things like that. I mean, they really do add up. Um, but, but really in terms of, you know, how, how I approach getting the highest yield, uh, per unit of time for an individual, um, it always starts regardless of, of where within this realm of sort of next gen health or wellness that, you know, we are, whether it's VR, whether it's wearables and trackers, it always needs to start from what are your objectives as an individual or your goals. And so, you know, and, and have them be very defined, make them objective, make them have a metric tied to it. Um, don't make them some sort of qualitative, you know, I want to feel great or something like that. You know, it's, I'm going to walk, uh, 10,000 steps, uh, average per day, uh, over the course of the next week. Um, that's a very specific defined conquerable goal. Um, and so then once you have that, then you have a framework. Of course, you want to make your goals relevant to whatever your health risks are, whatever your sort of family history may be, um, and and really also germane to any elements you might have. And so, I think that that, frankly, is is a is a strong um, pitch in favor of of Wellovate because we ha- we have clinicians that are designing all of these various different um, experiences and all all of our educational content, and essentially, um, you know. Nothing is created that doesn't have a goal focus in mind. Nothing is created just for fluff. Um, and everything is created with the idea of this is a conquerable, goal-oriented, specific, um, goal-focused attempt at whatever. So in some cases, it may be physical activity. In other cases, uh it may be distraction. And so there's a bunch of different um, avenues that you can go within the realm of next-gen health. Um, and that's really not the limitation. A lot of times the limitation is self-imposed by the individual. And it's just diving into it head first without just taking, again, literally five to 10 minutes to just think about, you know, what are my goals? And, you know, what are some concrete objective metrics that I can meet? Uh, so that, you know, when I reassess it a couple of weeks from now, it's, it's moving on to the next thing or maintaining and, and, and that's the way to do it. You know, you said something in there that I love, and I just want to highlight it for people listening. Um, you said, make your goals relevant to your health risks and your family history. And I think that's such an important thing for folks to kind of meditate on and keep in the back of their mind, because we live in this world where, you know, with, with podcasts and social media, Facebook, YouTube, uh, regular media, you you see so many recommendations and, and people can get overwhelmed with what they think they need to be doing to optimize their health or upgrade or, or whatever word you want to throw out there. And I think that's so important to just keep in mind, what do you need to focus on? Um, So you guys kind of keep that as sort of like a filter or a screen to kind of vet things that come in and say, you know, is this something that I need to invest my time, my resources into? Um, Joe, you mentioned earlier um, the FDA and and sort of that, that silo of things that, you know, sort of fall under medical governance and, and as we look at this next gen health topic, there was a recent um, bit of news that maybe our listeners have, were completely unaware of. So I'd love to get you to talk a little bit about what that announcement was and what it potentially means. 
Yeah, so so this is about a month or so ago now. Um, the FDA essentially rolled out a, a pilot program where they are essentially going to um, validate or uh, approve of um, wearable devices for um, purposes of really, there's three classes, take a step back, there's three different levels of, of validation uh, for amongst the sort of wearable uh consumer market. And uh, one of the levels is essentially, and I'm paraphrasing here, uh, FDA says, you know, these are very likely that we are going to regulate and we're going to keep an eye on these. And then there's the sort of third class, which is these are clearly, you know, for for personal, you know, wellness use. And uh, we have, we we don't have any intention at this point of regulating this. And then in the middle is kind of the gray area group, which, you know, unfortunately is a lot of the cool stuff. Um, and so, you know, what has come out of that is, is a very positive development, which I hope really can be rec- replicated for other areas of, of medical regulation, of health regulation. Uh, and it, it's essentially the concept that um, the FDA, uh, I believe, had nine pilot uh, companies or entities uh, you know, be selected to join this program. There was a lot of uh, submissions, but essentially what they're doing is they're validating the processes and the, the quality control of the company as opposed to the particular device. And so then once the company uh, and their their processes are, are uh, I guess, a val- validated or, or approved by the FDA, um, then the devices that they make will be, you know, approved for whichever level that they're going for. And so um, basically what that means is uh, the apples of the world, uh, the the large companies of the world, as well as a couple of smaller startups that got approved for this, are going to be able to turn out devices and rapidly iterate and make them, uh, you know, constantly better without having to, really go back and start at step one every time. Um, and so uh, it, it, it will result in some positive developments uh, over time, really because you're creating the economic uh, situation where it's worth it for these companies to do these sorts of things in a very robust way beyond the sort of gimmicky, um, you know, novel, you know, gadgets that we've seen in the past. And granted, not everything is like that, but still, I mean, uh, you know, a an EKG at the at the hospital is obviously you know much more robust and usable and valid than you know a heart rate sensor that uses you know some sort of focused light from from a wrist worn device. And so, um, hopefully, the the sort of uh, separation between those two worlds um, starts to break down in that. We just, you know, the wearables are moving more and more towards, you know, uh, very valid and 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 by extension, uh, very useful uh, uh, devices. And so, um, I, I I'm very excited by that. And I think that, you know, it's it's going to be a couple years before we see that whole process play out. But um, an important first step, definitely. Yeah, I think that's a, a really really important. Um, turn of events, I guess, if, if you want to phrase it that way, we will put the link uh, for you guys to follow up on that on the blog post for this one. Um, and as always, go to naturalstacks.com. This episode will be naturalstacks.com slash wellovate, W-E-L-L-O-V-A-T-E. Uh, and like I said, we'll have a link to everything that we talked about, but especially uh, that story there with the FDA and this new uh, bit of information. Um Joe, I think that's a, a great segue to, you know, bring it full circle back to what you guys are doing at Wellevate. And, and let's talk virtual reality as a medium. Um, you know, we already touched on some of the unique capabilities, but, you know, you mentioned kind of being quiet or hush-hush until you're ready to launch. What can you tell us about what's coming? So I can, I can tell you that what we have is, um, well... Take a step back. What we've done is from from day one, we incorporated elements of clinical design, of uh, really evidence-based literature, what's out there that we know works, what's out there that's been demonstrated in the past, 
And from that, we um, designed a set of experiences um, that uh, essentially take advantage of really the best of what was out there at the time. And um, that's very exciting in itself, but even more exciting on top of that is we have a robust platform to surround these experiences um, in a way that's going to allow us to uh, really get a, a feature-rich data set that isn't possible through any other medium. And, and, and so what that'll allow us to do as clinicians is start to look at this feature-rich data set and start to make interpretations, uh, start to make connections. And um, there's different deployments of what we're doing. Uh, we're, we're focused on wellness uh, initially. Um, uh, but we, we also very much think that there are some, some great opportunities uh, for, for Wellevate as well as for potential Wellevate clients and, 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 and users in the realms of education, obviously, which has really been probably the strongest area of virtual and augmented reality in terms of health and wellness. Uh, I think it is the strongest existing area, um, really because, uh, you know, a picture uh, is worth a thousand words, but a three-dimensional picture is probably worth a million. Uh, and so um, that sort of concept obviously can be readily applied to educational scenarios as well. And so, you know, really what, what you see sort of, start of starting to develop is a system where you have an experience that is fun and entertaining that uh, results in healthy behaviors. Uh, but then you also have a component where there's education going on in a fun and entertaining way. And so a lot of these things that really uh, are monotonous and tedious for us to go through on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, but uh, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, are very healthy behaviors, can be carried out in a virtual environment in a way where the user uh, you know, doesn't at all perceive it as tedious or monotonous and actually is having fun at the same time. And, um, without giving too much away and I, and I intend on, um, you know, hopefully bringing some of my colleagues on, uh, your podcast, uh, a couple of my physician colleagues in the future and having them talk about, you know, their experience with virtual reality and why they got into it. And then, uh, really we can, we can let out a little more at a time right before our launch, which is going to be probably in about uh, two to four months, I, I think is a, a wide range on purpose. Um, but I, I can tell you that it's going to be fun. It's going to be engaging. Um, it's going to provide a very feature rich data set that is going to result in really an ability for us to rapidly iterate upon those experiences in a way that, makes them relevant for the individual. Um, and, and so um, the, the sort of library of experiences at the end of the day will, will be a, a very large number of different experiences, um, many of which may resemble one another, uh, but there'll be subtle differences that are um, geared towards specific subpopulations and then eventually individuals. For, for really more effectiveness. That's what we're doing. Yeah. So I know uh, our listeners want to get as much detail out of, you know, what that experience might be as, as we could possibly, you know, leak. And, and I'll just say this, um, you know, I, you know, I mentioned earlier in the recording that, you know, I recently visited Joe and at that time, you know, they weren't ready to record and release some of this stuff, but I did get to do some, uh, I guess, beta testing or whatever you want to call it, but I got to experience the platform and I can just tell you guys that it was mind blowing. Um, I had no idea how rich that experience would be and how um, sort of engrossing it, it was, how you, you totally forget that you uh, are actually exercising. Or, or being active. So as, as Joe mentioned earlier in the show, you know, you really are having fun, you're playing, you're, you're being entertained, or you're getting that entertainment value, uh, but you're also uh, getting some exercise in. And I think the crucial thing to, to build on off of that statement is 
you know, what you mentioned in terms of, of the target subpopulations, you know, you're not necessarily targeting the hardcore CrossFit athlete or, or the person who lives to go to the gym five or six days a week. It's, it's for the person who, um, yeah, I think I, I believe your words when we were there before were something like the nerds who knew they need to work uh, work out more. Right, right, right. It's something. And, yeah, and and, that, you, and you say that lovingly, like you put yourself yeah. in that category. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't think there's any hiding that. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I think that there are you know there there are two main things uh, about today's society and about really where we are in in the course of things from a health standpoint, as well as, you know, in terms of technological development, we, we live in a world of information overload and, and really lack of serenity and lack of tranquility. And so ironically, and, and I think in a very positive way, virtual reality allows you to cut off that information overload because you have complete control over the three-dimensional audio-visual environment. Mm -hmm. And it also allows you to um, have tranquility because, you know, for example, um, let's say a woman who's 25 to 35, she likes to work out, but maybe she doesn't want to go to the, to the, you know, bricks and mortar fitness center. She doesn't want people staring at her when she's working out or she's just not feeling like it today she can go down to her basement or her bedroom or wherever her VR set is and in a very tranquil fashion, carry out her goal focused exercises in a way where, you know, she's not being bombarded with information mm -hmm. about, you know, buy this hair product or, you know, whatever, uh, the fifth rerun of some family guy episode or something, you know? And so, it allows you to basically carry out physical activity, also do things that are, you know, geared toward mental health and wellness, but in a way that automatically by its very nature cuts off a lot of that sort of background chatter and noise. And so regardless of whether you're doing physical activity or not in VR, there is a, there is a mental tranquility component to it. Assuming that the, the that the virtual experience has been designed with that in 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 mind, and that is something that we have done from the start, and we've been very cognizant of that, and uh, I think that is a large part why uh, we have reactions like the one you had to our platform, uh, because um, from day one we had a focus on the end user, not on monetization. Not on, um, you know, how are we going to spin this off or how are we going to exit as a startup? It's about making a quality service that essentially focuses on the end user and, and delivering value in terms of respecting the end user's time and giving them, you know, something fun and entertaining that also results in very healthy behaviors during whichever amount of time they're willing to invest. Yeah, I think that's beautifully said. And and just to to piggyback on what you're talking about, again, you know, if somebody were working out at home, you know, I've done that a few times. And, you know, whether you're watching some of the more popular, you know, workout DVDs at home or, or you know, I've been in situations where I've lifted in a warehouse style gym with no music. And the thing that I hate more than anything is having to listen to my own breathing. Um, you know, so, so maybe for that demographic or that subpopulation who doesn't want to go to the gym, but may even have, um, I don't want to call them issues, but you know, may not really enjoy working out at home because I'll admit like for me, it's harder to work out at home than it is to go to the gym and do it, you know, to get that motivation to do it. But within this experience, you totally lose track of the fact that you are working out at home. And I think right. that's, that's the most beautiful, most exciting thing for me with that. Right. And, and that's a great point that the environment itself can motivate you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Joe, this has been great. Um, I, okay. One other question for you then. So, so you mentioned sort of the way that you guys have been very intentional with setting this up. Uh, I'm curious to know if there's thought or, or maybe this is, something that you guys are not ready to talk about yet, but um, is, is there thought in integrating the data that people 
are tracking on this platform with their health practitioners so that maybe doctors can see, um, you know, what's going on? So right now, right now, the answer to that is, is no, it's not something that we are actively implementing uh, because we are starting out in the realm of wellness. And so we do want to keep a very clear delineation there. Um, but that, and, and that gets into some of those like gray areas with the FDA stuff, right? Is that why? Or? No. Uh, well, so if it's, if it's in the realm of wellness, if you're, if you're, you know, carrying out a set of products and you're not at all intending to treat, prevent, cure, diagnose, et cetera. Uh, and you're just, this is for personal wellness. This is for your own personal entertainment. Then it's, it's kind of outside of that realm. And okay. so that's where we're starting. Um, because that's the easiest way for us to get, um, really data to iterate upon. Okay. And so that's what we're doing. Um, and in terms of, you know, having ability to share, um, just like a Fitbit has, has allowed for a long time, you the ability to print out a report and share that on your own accord as an end user, we will probably do as soon as we can, as soon as we can in a way that, um, you know, is really, again, keeping the end user at the center of this. Um, and so uh, it's really kind of the, the order of operations for us is, you know, have a clean launch and, you know, get some wellness users on board, start to iterate. And, and, and then probably at about the next generation after that, uh, I, I do anticipate that we will have some sort of ability uh, for the end user to get their own feedback reports. And, and it's, you know, it's not like uh, a lab panel or an EKG. It's like um, you, I mean, it's almost like, I don't know if you remember in high school when you would, you know, everyone would run the mile. And at our high school, we would have, you know, uh, these reports that would tell us, you know, this is how fast you went uh, this most recent time. This is how fast you went six months ago, a year ago, et cetera. And, and so, at its most fundamental level, that's what we're talking about in terms of that first generation of feedback reports. But still, um, and and to sort of bring it back to what you were mentioning about family history, you know, the the cheapest genetic test in existence is is asking somebody about their parents and their siblings. Um, you know, it's 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 not complex, and and so you know that's that's our focus. And the reason I brought that up is because our focus is on doing the simple stuff right. Mm-hmm. And not missing the simple stuff, the low hanging fruit, and and that's that's our approach from a clinical standpoint. Is you know let's take care of the of the the elephant in the room first, and then we'll worry about the little details. And so um, we're also going to be doing that and taking that same approach in terms of you know the information uh, that we basically give to the end user in terms of a feedback report. And so you know everything is intentional. And, and there's a lot of design. And I would really even go out on a limb and say that probably about 80% of our time uh, during the development of this whole uh, platform that we have really has been into literature reviews, looking at peer-reviewed literature, uh, finding out what is going to be the highest yield feature, um, and then you know going to the whiteboard, designing, uh, making considerations in terms of technology, hardware, making considerations in terms of, you know, the various different software constraints that are out there in terms of monetary resources. And then again, always at the end of that process, every time coming back to, is this what the end user wants? Is this what's going to be best for the end user? Um, and, and it's not paternal decisions made by us. The decisions are really made for us in the peer-reviewed literature and, and for us uh, from, from people such as yourself that, you know, try it out and give us good feedback on, you know, this is something to tweak here or there. Um, and, then, and then really all along, we're, we're taking those individual anecdotes like the one you supplied us, and we're essentially um, starting to build that layer of customization for, you know, sub-cohorts of people, so like yourself being an optimizer, Mm-hmm. In, you know, in terms of the, the language that you and I use back and forth, but then also, um, you know, having a customized approach for, let's say, an older female, having a customized approach for an individual who may be immobile and has, 
you know, as a brittle diabetic. Mm-hmm. And so th- basically the sequence of events is going to go um, sort of a more general platform for everyone at launch. We're, we're moving towards customization and then longer term, we're moving towards personalization. And that's the, you know, that's going to be the slow and steady uh, march that we're, we're going to carry out. I mean, we're doing it. And really the, the beauty of it is, you know, we haven't taken any venture money. We're, we're just, uh, we're a company uh, funded by physicians that were kind of frustrated with the status quo. Uh, we brought on some colleagues who are fantastic developers. And, you know, uh, now it's just really uh, moving forward and carrying out our plan. And everything seems to be going very well thus far. All the feedback we've gotten is just uh, actually mind-blowing in terms of uh, I haven't had anyone uh, really give a large piece of this sucks or anything like that. Everyone just, you know, finishes the demo and they're just kind of like, you know, wide eyed and bushy tailed about it. So that's good. Um, and, and it really, uh, you know, motivates me and motivates our team to, to continue on. Yeah. That's really cool to get that kind of feedback. And I can tell you that, you know, I'm, I'm definitely one of those people that gave that kind of feedback and I'm really looking forward to the launch and, and being able to see what you guys can do with this. Uh, Joe, before we wrap things up with the final question, tell our listeners where they can get more of you or Wellevate, especially if they have questions or, or want to get involved in some way. Yeah, absolutely. So our website is wellevate.com. And that's again, W-E-L-L-O-V-A-T-E.com. And we have a Facebook page, Wellevate. Um, and um, feel free, there's a contact area, feel free to reach out to us. Um, you can email me at contact at Wellevate.com. And um, there'll be some more information coming out in the coming weeks uh, about when our launch is, is going to be uh, what is included on the launch, how you can get your hands on it, um, how uh, various different companies, if there are any commercial interests out there that you know um, want to investigate how uh, such a platform may be useful uh, for their particular entity, uh, please reach out to us. Uh, and you know our, our goal right now is to get this out there uh, and to, to, to iterate on it so that we can essentially realize that long-term vision of um, really disrupting health and wellness in a, in a good way. And disruption is an overused buzzword, but what we really mean by that is we mean we get our foot in the door, we essentially keep the end user as the center of all of this, and, and we really let the product and the service take care of itself. Um, this is gonna be a long-term commitment my team is committed in the long term and um, we're going to do this the right way. All right. Excellent. Uh, we'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes for you guys. Again, naturalstacks.com slash wellovate. Um, all right. We, we are at that time, guys. So first of all, thank you guys for, for listening to another episode. Make sure you guys go to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. When we read your review on the air, we will hook you up with a care package as a thank you. And of course, share the OPP with the people in your life that you know will benefit from and enjoy the things that we're talking about on the show. Um, Joe, final question. We want to know your top three tips to live optimal. Yeah. So I think tip one is keep it simple. Uh, in a world of information overload, uh, the, the more you can do to reduce that overload and focus on what matters. I'd say that's, that's number one. Uh, number two is really set your life up or set your schedule up so that you have opportunities built in to do the things you need to do. Um, regardless of whether you have significant circadian disruption or not, mm-hmm. you, you don't have time unless you make time. And so I don't care if it's your, you know, hiding for five minutes to do what you need to do, uh, in terms of your health, in terms of your wellness, um, it, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, let's say you're hiding at work for five minutes. Well, okay. Well, you just made yourself a lot healthier than if you were just sitting there like a, you know, a cardboard cutout. And so that's going to turn 
around yields for whoever you're working for. So um, make the time to do what you need to do. Um, and then I would say the third thing is um, relationships. Uh, the people in your sort of health and wellness circle. Um, and, and if you and if you hear me saying that and you're not quite sure what I'm talking about, that might be uh, a little motivated to think to yourself, who, you know, who are the people that I spend time with that are healthy uh, or where that experience is healthy? And who are the people that I spend time with where, you know, maybe every time I get home after I'm done hanging out with that person or people, I feel miserable and just, you know, take a step back and just think about it and realize that. And the rest will take care of itself in terms of, you know, more positive experiences or more negative experiences. So I think the three things, you know, um, of keep it simple, um, make the time and essentially think about your relationships are, are, are my three tips. That's pretty powerful. Joe, thanks so much for being on the OPP today. And thank you everybody for listening. Uh, we'll catch you guys next week. 